Well, again, welcome to the Olathe Campus of Christ Community Church. So glad that you're here uh, with us. My name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor. Uh, it's great to gather together and, and worship this, this great God uh, that we serve. Uh, well, this, this morning we begin a, a new series together. We're calling it Does It Matter? Uh, and we're going to be asking that question um, about the core things that we together believe in. So does it, does it really matter what we believe about God and the Bible and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the church and end times and all those kinds of things? It'll take us through these, these nine weeks of the summer all the way up until kind of the middle or, or end of August asking that question. And we're going to follow the order of our, of our statement of faith. Um, they should be sitting, uh, probably saw when you came in. Um, I encourage you to, to grab this, uh, to stick it in your Bible, uh, to read it regularly throughout this time together, even, even every week. Uh, we're going to use it for the order we're not going to touch on everything. Um, you know, we just couldn't possibly do that. We'll barely even scratch the surface on some of these things. And yet, we, we want you to have that. We'll read it throughout the service as well. Uh, this morning, we'll, we'll read uh, at the end together uh, what it is. So I'd encourage you to hold on to that. Uh, kids, uh, we hope that this is a good place for you as you continue to explore uh, what we believe, right, together as a community, uh, to kind of figure some of those things out a little bit or more of to figure out what questions you need to be asking your parents. Um, and so parents, you're welcome, right? Um, and if, and if, you're, if you're not a Christian and you're here, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, and we hope that this will be an opportunity for you to figure out what, you know, what are the core things that, that Christians hold to, uh, that we believe to be true uh, in our lives and in our, in our world. And so we're really, really glad that you're here as well. Um, these are the things that we believe. And yes, uh, spoiler alert, uh, we believe they matter. You're curious. That's kind of the answer there. Um, but we're excited about it, and they, they matter to the way that we live. And so let's, let's just pray and ask God to, to help us as we kick this time off uh, in this, this, these matters together this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that you, uh, we believe that you reveal yourself to us, that you haven't left us on our own uh, to figure out uh, who we are, who you are, and how life works best. Uh, God, that you have given us the answers that we need in your word. And so, God, as we come to these questions, difficult questions, huge questions, I pray that we would do so with humility um, and with honesty, as well as a, a deep-seated desire to grow and to change by who you are. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us from your word as you promised to through your son, Jesus, with the Holy Spirit at work within us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so who is he? It's kind of the ultimate question, right? Uh, everybody wants to know. I mean, if he's real, then what's he like? Okay, so come on, class. Let's, let's come up with something. Uh, who is God? Messiah. Messiah, okay. That's good. What else? Creator. Creator. Holy, awesome, yeah. The Trinity. Trinity, mm-hmm. Omnipotent. Omnipotent. Ooh, going to test my spelling, huh? <laughs> Omnipotent. That's how you learn that one. Okay, what else? Just, Just. yes. One or two more? Everlasting. Everlasting. Love. Love, okay. I'm running out of space, so we'll stop there. All right, so basically, well done, okay? Uh, we've got the, uh, the churchy answers. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of sort of Sunday school type uh, material here. And I, I don't mean that as a criticism, right? We, we got to start somewhere. Um, this, is, this is church after all. And so I figured we'd, we'd have some of these things on our, on our list together, right? Uh, but let's, you know, I mean, what do you really think about God, right? I mean, it, let's say you're not in church. Let's just pretend, okay? Uh, what, what are the things that you wouldn't maybe normally say out loud about God? Or, or maybe if you don't like that, maybe you want to make it a little less personal, what would, what would maybe your skeptical friends or neighbors say about God? Who is he? Enigma. Enigma. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's E, right? E? E. Okay. How to spell that word is an enigma. Okay. Scary. Scary. Okay, sure. Big. Big, yeah. Irrelevant. Ugh. A? Whew. Whew. Okay. Uh, first thing I came up with, because I can spell these words, um, is uh, first thing I think of, honestly, when I think about God in this context, I think distant, right? Just, just sort of out there. Uh, distant. Uh, what else? Watchful. Sure. Maybe even like watchful in a mean sense. Um, un- killjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Killjoy. Unknowable, I think of. Man-made. Okay, all right. So, now it's getting interesting, right? We've got God number one and God number two here. Um, this is sort of, you know, the God that we're, you know, supposed to believe in. Uh, and this is, this is the God that we often feel, whether you do personally or just the people around us. I'm guessing, I would guess most of us feel these way, this way some of the time about God, if we're, if we're really honest. Um, so, let's, let's take it one step further then. What if I were to ask you, I mean, maybe not say for yourself, but maybe if you were to peer into the person sitting next to you's life and to ask you, what is it that they really worship? What are they really building their lives on? That'd give us God number three, right? You don't have to shout those out. That might be a little too much, right? Uh, Money. I mean, you can shout them out if you want to. Sex. Approval. uh, Success. Yeah. Family. I mean, on and on, right? There's no, there's no end to this work, no end to this list. You can't read it anyway, but you get the idea, okay? So, um, so who is he, right? Who, who is God? Because, I mean, right here, okay, we, we've sort of got the unholy trinity, right? These three ideas. Again, the God that we, that we you know, we want to believe in, right? We, we know we're supposed to, and this is the God that we so often feel, and these are the gods that we actually give our lives to. And so, who, who is he? Who is he really? I mean, is it, is it any wonder that we live such anemic lives, right? Why we continue to, to struggle and fail to change and why we give in to, to selfishness over and over and over again. Half the time, we don't even know which God to turn to. And, and if this is it, if this is what we're faced with, I mean, like, where do we go from there, right? I'm not, I'm not sure there's anything harder than trusting a God you cannot see. And at the same time, I'm not sure that there's anything he wants more from us. But can I trust him with my kids? Can I trust him with my health and my reputation? Others of you might ask, can I trust him with my singleness? Can I trust him with my sex life, my my work, my vocation, my family? Can can I actually trust this God? And which, which God are we talking about? Does he really see 
Is he able to, to act? Does he even care? And, and frankly, those are all sort of like theoretical, right, questions. Um, we, we love to take theology and make it more of a theory, right? It feels a little more sanitary, but make it personal. Is God, does he see you? Does he see me? Is he able to act in my life to intervene? Does he actually care about me? You know, the question that we're really wrestling with, right? Uh, the question that we're going to deal with here all, all morning is, is this. How big is your God? How big is he? And is he big enough to handle everything in your life? Is he big enough for you to trust him with all of it? Now, of course, we're not the first people to feel this way, right? To wrestle with these things. In fact, the, the ancient Israelites, uh, the people of God in the, in the Old Testament, I mean, they wrestled with, struggled with this almost all of the time, right? If you, read, if you read your Bibles, you see that. I mean, they probably would have come up with a very similar whiteboard. And yet those words we heard just a minute ago, right, so beautifully read from Isaiah chapter 40. I mean, it's one of the most incredible chapters of the Bible. It's so beautiful, isn't it? We're going to focus primarily on the summary portion at the end, verses 27 through 31. But for Israel, I mean, the, who, the, the people who were originally written those words for, and they're about to be destroyed as a nation. Everything taken away from them. I mean, they, they are literally about to watch their family and friends raped and murdered by invaders. And the lucky ones, right, who survive, they're all taken captive, prisoners made into slaves in a foreign land. Of course they doubted. And so Isaiah pleads with them. And he asks them, he asks us, how big is your God? I think he does it in verse 18, he says, essentially, he says, with whom then will you compare God? How big is he? And he answers that question for us, Isaiah does. He gives us three things to sort of chew on this morning. He says that our God, he, he sees and cares. That our God is, is stronger and smarter. And that our God gives instead of takes. A.W. Tozer begins his brilliant little book of theology with these words. He says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And Isaiah hits us right where we live. Our God sees and cares. Look at verse 27. Okay, verse, verse 27 really is a summary of, of Israel's complaint against God. And, and Isaiah, he brings it out. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. God doesn't see me. He doesn't know how I feel. He doesn't know the pain I'm going through. And if, if by some chance he does know it, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about my rights. He doesn't care about my needs or my desires. None of it. I mean, really, that's, in some ways, that's this understanding of who God is. And, I mean, we've been there, haven't we? I mean, haven't you been in that situation, right? You pray, and it feels like it's just bouncing off the roof. Or you, you open the Bible, and it just sort of feels like empty words. Or maybe, maybe you just think, seven billion people on the planet, and really, God has time for me. Really? Really? 
Does he? Come on. But Isaiah, what what are your response to this in verse 28? He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? And all throughout this chapter, we see this picture of a God who sees. Verse, Verse 11, if we were to go back, for example, it says, he will tend his flock. That's us. That's his people. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Kind of reminds me a little bit of one of my favorite little forgotten Bible stories. It's early on in the Old Testament, back in Genesis. Uh, Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you're not. That's okay. I'll try to explain it. But basically, it's about Abraham and Sarah. Or or more accurately, it's really about, about Hagar. And Abraham and Sarah, if you don't know who they are, they're, they're, kind of, they're the patriarchs, right? They are the father and mother of the Jewish people, but they, they can't get pregnant, which makes it really hard to start a nation, right? And you think about the, the pain that that must have been for them in that moment, having these promises from God and knowing their inability to do it. And they're not very good at trusting. And so Sarah comes up with a brilliant idea. Says to Abraham, you know, why don't you, why don't you take my slave, Hagar, why don't you sleep with her and get her pregnant, and then we'll take that baby for our own? Abraham's like, cool, all right. And so he gets her pregnant, which again, it's just like a really, really great idea, right? Because now Sarah is absolutely filled with jealousy, and she begins to hate Hagar and even despise her unborn son, and she convinces Abraham to send them away. And he does sends away this slave who's pregnant with his child, and she, she goes off, she's alone, completely alone in the desert by herself, unwanted, this non-Jewish slave, damaged goods, expecting a child. But the angel of the Lord appears to her in that story. And God promises to care for her, no matter what. And she gives God a name. I love that. She, 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 calls, that, she calls him El Roy. Um, she doesn't really mean a whole lot to us, but that, that's the name she gives him. It means the God who sees. I, mean, I, read, the, I read this story a few months ago to my, to my kids, and I, I got choked up reading it to them, which is kind of awkward with a five- and seven-year-old. They're like, Dad, what's going on here? But she, she calls him the God who sees. Look, listen to what it says, Genesis 16. She says, you are the God who sees me. Picture her alone in the desert with nothing to turn, from, to, turn to, pregnant. You are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. And Isaiah says that's, that's still who God is. For Hagar, for the Israelites, for us, that is who he is. But you know, as beautiful as that is, I mean, a God who sees and cares, we, we want that, we long for that, but it's not enough. Not really. Hey, I mean, he's also got to have the power and the wisdom to be able to do something about it, to be, to be able to act, to intervene. So, so how big is your God? He's also, Isaiah tells us, he's stronger and he's smarter. Verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, 
the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So how big is he? He's the creator. He he made everything. If we we look back in, in verse 12, it says that he holds the oceans. All 326 million trillion gallons. He holds them in his palm, it says. And it says there as well, when, when God wants to measure the sky, right? Think about the sky. He, he uses his hand as, as the rule. That's how big he is. And, and if he wants to, to weigh the mountains and the hills, he uses his, his kitchen scale. And if we were to, to look even further in verse uh, 26, the stars, he calls all of them by name. All 10 billion trillion of them. He knows them by name. So wait, what are we afraid of? Natural disaster, disease. Yeah, those are scary, aren't they? But really? I mean, if those things paralyze you or you pray more to your doctors than you pray to your God, your God is too small. Or what about the other things that, that freak us out, right? What about the, the powerful things in our world? Verse, verse 15, he talks about the nations. He says, the nations, they're a drop in the bucket. Iraq, China, North Korea, America. He says, nothing but a single piece of dust on a scale. That's it. And those in charge of those nations, right, who think they're so powerful, verse 23, it says, God's like, they're nothing, Right? Some of them are less than nothing. He says, I'm the one who gives them their power, and when I'm done with them, I will blow them over like a piece of grass. So what are we afraid of? War, terrorism, deficits. Yeah, sheesh, those are scary, aren't they? But if those things paralyze you, or if you think the right politics can save us, your God is too small. But what else? People, right? We're afraid of people. I'm afraid of people. We always think about what they, what they think of us, how they imagine us. But it says, says in verse, verse 22 that we're, we're like grasshoppers to God. We're that puny. And, and yet we spend our entire lives trying to impress all the other grasshoppers, don't we? Right? We're, we're afraid of what they're going to think. We're going to disappoint them or that we're going to, we're going to fail to impress them. We, we want everybody's approval. If you, if you are more concerned about what others think of you than what God thinks of you, your God is too small. And how smart is he? Verse, verse 28, his understanding is unsearchable. The God you imagine just seems a little bit outdated. You know, old-fashioned. I mean, how could he possibly get his mind around the complexities in our world from technology to sexual ethics? How, how could he possibly understand your God is too small? Or if you, if you kind of like fudge his commands, right, because you, you know what's best for your life, I know what's best. You know, you pick and choose what we like in the Bible. Or, or if you um, fail to ask God about really big decisions in your life. Or if you assume that, you know, God doesn't, he doesn't really have anything to say about my, my vocation. That's the place where we spend the majority of our time, isn't it? He doesn't, what does he know about engineering and, and mathematics and marketing and parenting today's kids? What does he know? Your God is too small. Friends, how big is he? 
Do you think he can protect your kids? And take care of your needs? Do you believe that he can fix your relationships and satisfy your desires? Do you believe that he actually knows what's best for you? Not not theoretically, best for you. And that he has the power to do it. How big is your God? You know, it's still not quite enough. Not, not, not quite enough. Not, not for me to gladly give everything to, to trust everything with. Sure, he, he sees and cares, and yes, he's, he's stronger and smarter. But here's what I think amazes me most. I mean, in light of all those massive things that this God is, our God also gives instead of takes. I mean, who else can say that about their God? Every other God, right? That's this list here. Anything that we could possibly add to this list, any other God will take. Any other God will require everything that you have and even more. I mean, you make, you make money your God, you'll never have enough. Sex, you'll never be satisfied. Family, your kids are going to leave. You know that, right? They're going to grow up and leave. Success, you're never going to have enough. Approval, friends, you'll never be popular enough. These things will always leave you empty. They'll never be enough. Every other God takes. And we know that, don't we? Because we, we try these things all the time. I try these things. Every day we try them. And they always leave us just craving just a little bit more and still feeling hollow inside. They can't do it. They'll never be enough. I'm sure things were different for Israel. But they're not that different. I mean, they had their idols too. He talks about them in verses 19 and 20. I love that. He talks about the, the irony of looking for wood that won't rot. Because how embarrassing, you have friends over and your God's all moldy, right? It just seems weird. He talks about you got to find the right carpenter to build it so it's not going to fall over in the middle of the night or anything like that or somebody's going to bump it or something. Uh, Because that's, I mean, you can't have a God just sort of toppling over in your house. It's just, it's not right. He's he's so sarcastic here. And, And for Israel, I mean, they're fed up with God. I mean, he, in their minds, he has abandoned them, given up on them. And so, I mean, why not replace this with this if those are your only options? I mean, that's, that's what they're feeling. Now, our God does ask for everything. Don't get me wrong. He wants it all. But when we give it, we receive everything back and even more in return. Verse, verse 29. Verse 29. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And this is why it matters. I mean, this is, this is why it matters what we believe about God. Only, only a God this big could possibly change us this deeply. Only a God this big is, could possibly be worth all of our, worthy of all of our trust and all of our delight. And just look at the difference that a God this big actually makes. There's, there's three things in these, these last verses here. First, the bigger your God, the smaller the alternatives the bigger your God, the smaller the alternatives. I mean, go back to the idols, right? All, all these things that we, that we go to. 
I mean, how big is my God if food and success and stuff and approval and all the selfishness still has such control over me at times? I mean, compare them. I mean, compare the God of Scripture up and against the things that we, that we actually devote our lives to. Really? What are those things for you? What's, what's God's competition for your life? Something for all of us. There's something competing for every one of us, for our allegiance, for our devotion, for our love, for our affection, for our trust. Something is competing with God in your life and mine. What is it? What is it? I mean, for Israel, I mean, their biggie was security, right? Given the circumstance that they're in, that's, that was their God. Oh, we just want to be safe. And that, that comes out a couple ways in Isaiah 40, right? Uh, two, two ways in particular that, that they're they are sort of obsessed with the power of the other nations, right? They, they, they want to find an ally. That's kind of historically, if you read the other, other books around here, what's going on. They, they want an ally, somebody who protects them because they know that, that God's not going to. And with that, right along with that, they're, they're shopping for other gods, right? These idols. And they fell into it over and over and over again because if, if this God, the true, if he's not going to protect us, then we need someone who can. It's different for us. Maybe. I don't really think it is, honestly. In verse, verse 25, it's almost a dare that God shouts out. Who are you going to compare me to? He says. It's like, I dare you. Just try it. Try to compare me with anything, with, with whatever it is, with other, other gods, nations, whatever pleasures. Just, just try it for a moment. Just compare me with them. I mean, next time you're smacked with temptation, whatever it is, I mean, it's probably different for many of us, probably similar for some as well. Next time you're faced with your temptation, oh, you just want to give in. Compare it with God for a moment. If your God looks small, Anything looks good. But with a God this big, those things begin to lose their power. Begin to lose their, their control over us. And, and if, if you're not a Christian, I mean, I, I realize that there, there are a lot of reasons not to believe. I, I get that. And I don't want to like, put anybody here in a box or say this is, this is exactly what's true for you. But I know for some of you, right, if you're not a Christian, the reason isn't just that you don't believe it's true. It's that you don't believe it's worth it. And again, that may not apply to all of you, but even if it does, I'm guessing what you're going to hold on to, I just don't believe it's true. But deep down, are you sure it's not because you just don't believe it's worth it? The cost is just too high. The, de- the demands of, of Jesus and the gospel, you know things in your life that has to change. You know the ways that your life doesn't possibly measure up and think, man, I just, I don't know. But here's the reality, and I say this, I hope, I hope you hear this with grace and love, Okay. Um, if, that, if that describes you, you're already worshiping something. All of us are. You're already building your life on something. Even if it's, even if it's the fulfillment of your own satisfaction, right? Or your own ego or whatever. You have a God. You are trusting in something to tell you that your life is worth living. That's why you keep living it. And every other God will take. Every other God will crush you. Only this God lifts you up on wings like eagles. The bigger your God, the smaller the alternatives. Second, 
the bigger your God, the better you wait. The bigger your God, the better you wait. Again, verse, verse 31. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Now, depending on your translation here, you might not have the word wait. Some of them have hope or trust. Those who hope in the Lord, those who trust in the Lord. But I, I love this about the, the Hebrew language. It's actually the same word uh, for all of it. Um, because with this God, to hope is to wait, and to wait is to hope. They're seen as, as synonymous. If you're waiting, you're hoping, and if you're hoping, you're waiting. That's, that's what it means. But you will never wait for a God who is small. You won't do it. You'll give up. You'll try something else. You'll find your own way. You'll do something like Abraham and Sarah, right, with Hagar. You're not going to wait for a God who's small. And you know, in, our, in a world like ours, I mean, this is so hard because we don't have to wait for anything. We don't have to wait for anything except for the things that really matter most, right? And when that happens, it, it feels as if God has left us. I mean, we just feel completely abandoned. I know some of you, right, you, even in this moment, you have been waiting and waiting and waiting and the pain, it's just, it's outrageous. Maybe, maybe you're waiting to, to be healthy again, to feel better. Maybe you've been waiting for a spouse, waiting to get pregnant, waiting for a kid to start making better choices, waiting for a job, waiting for a friend, waiting, waiting just to feel happy again. And I, I hate to wait. And if that, if that describes you and the place that you're in, my heart breaks with the agony of what it feels like forever. I hope, I hope you hear that. I can't imagine what that's like for you. But I have to ask. Again, I hope you hear this with grace. How big is your God even while you wait? Is he, is he big enough to trust with, what, with whatever it is? I mean, is he big enough to, to handle your pain and the regret or sorrow that you, that you feel deep within? Is he, and this is the hard one, is he big enough to keep trusting even if he never comes through like you want him to? Even if you're waiting for the rest of your life, is he still big enough to keep trusting? You know, as you wait, the size of our prayers uh, often reveal the size of our God, don't they? Do you pray? Do you pray often? Do you pray that God would do big things? I mean, we're all weary, aren't we, from, from one sense or another? We, we all feel worry. And here, God promises strength. Have, have you asked him for it? God, give me strength. The bigger your God, the better you wait. And finally, the bigger your God, the braver you live. The braver you live. C.S. Lewis, he describes courage not simply as one virtue in the list of virtues. He, he describes it as the virtue that, that makes all the other virtues possible. And, and what he means by that is any other virtue, right, you can, fear will, will overcome, or could potentially, right? Love, right, can be destroyed by fear. Uh, the desire to be generous or to sacrifice for somebody else, to, to hold up integrity. I mean, they can all be killed by fear. The reality is in a world as broken as ours, you have to be brave in order to live the life that God calls you to. Uh, otherwise, I mean, we will inevitably turn towards security, comfort, ease, satisfaction, right? We, 
that, that's kind of our, our default, right? If your God is small, comfort and security will be your highest ideal. It'll be the thing that you live for most. It's what you'll wake up dreaming about. It's what you build your entire life. If your God is small, that's it. If I could just be comfortable and safe. But for those who have a God this big, he says, the Lord shall renew their strength. I like even the word renew, right? We'll get tired. The Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let me give a few examples of this. One would be, if, you're, if your God is small, you will, you'll always be tired. I mean, you'll always be weary, right? Because you can't rest. I mean, if your God is small, right? You, your company can't survive without you, right? Your position at work, your family can't survive without you, and you're afraid your kids aren't going to survive unless they're really good at everything. Uh, and your, your income, right? Your lifestyle is not going to survive without your income. And the world, you just sort of assume you're the one that keeps it spinning. You're never going to rest. You're never going to take a day off. If your God is small, you won't. You just won't be able to because you're in charge, right? It takes courage to rest, to really rest. It takes courage to, to get to know your neighbors, to invite them to church, to, to share your faith with them. It takes courage to say no to the things that you should say no to and yes to the things that you should say yes to. It takes courage to live with integrity. It takes courage to, to be generous, right? To live frugally so that you can be generous to others, so that you can sacrifice or, or serve. It takes courage to invest in relationships with a bunch of other messed up people like you. It takes courage. It takes courage to step out in faith. I mean, even, even as a church, Right? I mean, one example of the way this works itself out together is, I mean, at Christ Community, we believe that the most effective way for us to make an impact on our community and world for Jesus Christ is through the multiplication of healthy churches. We believe that there's lots of evidence that shows if you, if you want to transform people's lives with the gospel, if you want to impact their families, their schools, the community in which they are found, it's through the multiplication of healthy churches. It's why we have four campuses. So is our, is our God big enough for us to step out in faith if, and plant again if God calls us? Is he? And more personally, is your God big enough for you to go? To leave what's comfortable and easy and safe? But to say, say to God, God, you are you're big enough and your plan of redemption is beautiful enough that I will go. It takes courage to step out in faith. And if, you're, if your God is small, your life is going to be lame. Comfortable, maybe, like at least on the outside, but, but lame. But if, you're, if your God is big, and he's big in your life, just imagine what he could do in and through you. Imagine what he could accomplish in you, and in your family, and in your friends, and in your workplace, and school, and everything that we touch you know, it doesn't mean that we're not afraid. I have this conversation all the time with my kids. I tell them over and over again, be, being brave doesn't mean that you're not afraid. Frankly, there's things in this world, right, that, we sh- that you'd be a fool not to be scared of, right? This world is scary. That's not what courage is. Courage is being, looking at fear and looking at the things that other people are afraid of and even maybe being afraid yourself and doing it anyway and just stepping out anyway. That's what courage is. So if you were looking for a simple Next step from this morning. Again, whether, whether you're a Christian or not, spend some time this week just asking yourself, am I brave? 
When, when is the last time you or I have, have done anything out of faith? In our lives, my life, so often on autopilot, right? What in your life takes faith for you to do, to accomplish? And what brave thing might God ask you to, be do, to do next? Spend some time thinking about that this week. The bigger your God, the braver you live. And you know, only a God like this is worth giving everything to. Because here, here's the key. We can, we can give ourselves fully, unreservedly, with joy to a God like this because he has already given everything for us. I mean, just think about that. I mean, this, this big God, right, that we read about in Isaiah 40, I mean, it's one of, my, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. You read it, and you almost feel like you have to take your shoes off, right, in the presence of a God this holy, this majestic, this powerful above us, and yet this big God made himself small for us. He took on flesh. He became one of us. He walked. Jesus walked under the stars that he named, and he gave everything for us, his life died on our behalf. I mean, proving, right? Proving forever, once and for all, even though we're going to continue to struggle, but proving that God number two, right? This just doesn't work, right? God cannot be distant and unknowable. He comes near through Jesus. He gives everything for us. this, This can't be true. And this God? Money's never going to die for your sins. Approval will never save you. Sex will will never fix the problems that you know or you're longing for intimacy or whatever it is. None of these things can even possibly, they'll crush you. Every other God will take, every other God will crush you. Only this God, Jesus, was crushed for our sins. And he rose again for our life. And he hasn't withheld any good thing from us. And he longs to know you. He longs to be in relationship with you. He longs to pour out. I mean, he is a giver. He longs to pour out joy and life and forgiveness and satisfaction. The kind of satisfaction that is only worthy of a God like this. A God this big. So let me ask one more time. How big is your God? Let's pray. God, I pray. Gracious Father, holy God. God, I pray that you would forgive me for the many constant ways I try to make you small in my life. For the ways that I ignore you or just forget about you or get too distracted or the the ways in which I almost just want to sort of pretend you fit in my pocket and I can just manipulate you to do whatever I want. God, we make you so small. God, I pray that we be gripped with the God that is revealed in your word. God, I pray for those who are hurting here. God, I know so many um, who are waiting and waiting and waiting and it hurts, and it feels so easily like you have left them. God, I pray that even in this moment, that you would help them know, help them experience your love, that that you are this this God who comes near through Jesus, who doesn't withhold any good thing, even, even when you tell us to keep waiting, or even when your idea 
of what we need is different from our own, God, I pray that they would feel that comfort and wait, that they would wait with courage. And God, for those here who don't know you, God, I, I pray that even, even if they're not at a point yet to be able to believe these things, God, I pray that they would at least want them to be true. That they would hear these things about a God who is so big and so generous and so loving and long for it to be true. And God, in that longing that you would begin to reveal yourself to them in a personal way through your son, Jesus. And so God, now I, I pray that as we come before you in worship, God, there's really nothing left to do um, in light of a God like this but to come before you in awe and humility. So I pray that we would do that, that you would meet with each one of us here in these moments. We pray this for the glory of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.